Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. All right, so today is what we call a deep dive. That just means that it is a standalone sermon that I get to just Honestly, I always get to speak from my heart, whatever God lays in my heart, but this is sort of a standalone. We're going to deep dive into one particular topic, and I I think Isaiah did a great job of getting you pumped up. Can we just keep that energy this morning? Yeah, lean in, right? Get on the edge of your seat, get your note-taking devices ready, lean in today. I believe God has, he has a word every single Sunday morning just for you. He has a word every single morning just for you, right? His mercies are new every morning. But Sunday morning is something special. I was thinking this morning as I got up, I get up at 5.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. uh, And just, you know, it's before the sun these days. (laughs) And I was just thinking how amazing it is that we get this opportunity. My Sunday morning probably looks very different from most people's, but I wouldn't trade it wouldn't trade it. It's, a, it's an important thing that we're doing on Sunday mornings. It's an important thing that we do in general, and that's what we're talking about today, actually. We're, we're actually about to head into a season of compassion building as a church. There's something God is laying on my heart, and I believe this next series that we're starting next week is going to be deeply impactful to us as a church. It all starts next week with Jeremiah Sutter. You heard Isaiah say that he is coming next week. He's going to be sharing missionary stories. He's actually been on the missions field in Africa for like the past eight months, maybe not the past month, but before that, the past eight months. And uh, he's got lots of good stories to tell us. I told him to just tell us as many crazy missionary stories as possible. (laughs) So we're going to kick it off with that next week. Uh, We're going to talk about other ways to get back into the community. We're going to look at Jesus's compassion for people, how he actually saw people and ministered to them, how he wept over Jerusalem, how he looked people in the eyes and asked them questions and, and actually waited for their answer. It's an amazing thing. I'm very excited to get into it with you. But before we get there, I believe we need to lay some groundwork. There's actually... This bridge, I think, between the last series, different, and the next series that we're going into that we need to talk about. We've spent the past six weeks basically talking about the gospel, right? The gospel message. I mean, we tore it apart. We examined it. We put it back together. So many times we told the gospel message six different ways. See what I did there? Some of you got that. And believe me, this, this is a message that I will be preaching for the rest of my life. The gospel message, it never gets old, (laughs) right? I can see it or my need for it on every page of the word, on every page of every book, on every story I've ever read or watched or written. You can see our need for the gospel. There is this pattern of the gospel that even in secular culture, we keep seeing. That's why we love superhero movies. The guy that sacrifices himself at the end. It's a pattern of the gospel. We love the gospel, even if we don't know its name. We love it. And the gospel message is not fully complete without its effect. What I mean by that is sacrifice and love to the degree that we see in the gospel message that the Son of God would come down to this mess of a world and give his life 
for hours. I mean, I mean, he's the only one on planet Earth that in history was qualified to judge us, and he chose not to. Instead, he chose to take our place. And his sacrifice and love to that degree requires response. It just does. When you understand it truly in the depths of your soul, you have to respond. This isn't a truth you can keep to yourself. It's not uh, something you, you hog all to yourself inside of you. It changes you from the inside out and it spurs you on to action. And yet, there are Christians all over the world that do nothing with that knowledge. Right? There are, are Christians who hold it all to themselves that have been set free themselves, that, that have gotten up from their ditches, right? If you've been here through the last series, that have gotten their dignity back from God Almighty, as we talked about last week, and yet do nothing with that information. I've been guilty of it. Oh, we go back. Sometimes we revert. We hold it all selfishly within us. And it sounds ridiculous when we say it like that. But we do it all the time to some degree. We, we all return to the muck here and there that God saved us from. Sometimes it happens slowly with little excuses or little allowances. Sometimes it's, it's a quick, selfish decision made in the moment. But spiritual health is one of those things that requires constant maintenance. Requires it. Otherwise, we quickly lapse into apathy, into, into insecurity. That's why we talk about the vibrancy, the passion, the selflessness that we have been called to as a church and how we have to maintain it. It is both a gift and a discipline. We have to feed the passion, renew the vibrancy, right? Practice selflessness. We have a part in this, and yet we are so forgetful. And this isn't true of just us today, but of God's people for millennia. It's always been true. In fact, today we're going to go back through history, about 2,500 years ago, give or take a few, to see where Israel did just that. They forgot the God who set them free. They were set free only to be lured into spiritual apathy. They were abundantly blessed only to trade it for a cheap counterfeit, and they were given another chance, a like 50th chance by this point in Israel's history, only to return to the monk. The gospel requires action. God's love requires action. So we're going to go back to the very small Old Testament book of Haggai today. Haggai. Haggai occurs about 70 years after the Babylonian exile is over. So the Persians now rule. And they allow any Israelite who wants to return to the homeland, to Jerusalem, to go home. And so some of them do. Seventy years pass after they have returned home. The Lord is patient. The homeland was in ruin 70 years ago, okay? But the people have returned, and it's no longer in ruins anymore, except for one thing. We're going to start this in Haggai verse 1. I want you to see this conversation between God and his people. So, on August 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. Everybody say Shealtiel. Just because I have to say these crazy names, you have to too. 
Shealtiel, I guess, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Say Jehozadak. That's a fun one to say. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Time has not yet come. The Lord says that the people say. This is obviously a conversation they have had before, right? The Lord is saying that the people are saying. It's been 70 years, okay? 70 years have passed. And now the Lord is saying, okay, guys, why has the time not yet come? (laughs) God is patient with us. So patient with us. But it's at this point that God is sort of holding them accountable. See, God is patient, right? But not forever. God is not a God that will allow evil to exist forever. There does come a time, there will come a time when Jesus is going to come back and fix this mess that we've created. Once and for all, all of it. New heaven, new earth, all of that, right? But for now, he chooses to allow some of it and to end some of it. Throughout the Old Testament history, if you really look at the scope of the Old Testament, God comes in occasionally and he puts an end to it. He is not patient with us forever. And here... He is very kind. He is very patient. 70 years have passed, and now he's coming in saying, hey, guys, what's going on? Right? What's going on? Why are we not being obedient yet? The time has not come to rebuild the house of the Lord. I think it was Pastor Marv. Oh, thank you. Pastor Marv used to say, delayed obedience is not obedience. (laughs) Delayed obedience. Obedience is not obedience. And I used to think about that a lot growing up. It's something I heard a lot growing up. When you're sitting on the couch and mom says, go clean your room. Right? You want to wait. Ah, I can do it later. Oh, I'll do it, you know, when I feel like it. But mom said now. So is delayed obedience obedience? It's actually a much deeper lesson to learn with God. He's calling them on what we, guys, we talked about this. It's been 70 years I've been patient. What's going on? So when is the right time to be obedient? If not immediately, then when? Do you get to decide that or does God decide that? Right? People do this all the time. We do this with tithing, for example. It's actually one of the biggest ones. We, we hold back, God, if, if I can just get this raise, then I'll have enough money to give you 10%. Right? I, I just need to get a little bit further in life. I need to get this and this and this paid off. Then I'll be obedient with 10%. The problem with that is God made it a percentage for a reason. <laughs> it's a scale. It matches whatever we're doing at the time, right? Whether that's a little or a lot, it's a scale. Well, we do this in relationships too, where we're like, once I find somebody, then we'll start going to church. When, when I find the right man, then we can all go to church together. Or, or, you know, when my kids are older, we'll make church a priority. When the kids are out of soccer, whatever, I hear those all the time. We'll, we'll make church a priority. When is the right time to be obedient? If it's not now, then when? God is saying, People are still saying the time has not yet come. We have to stop giving God excuses as to why we can't obey him. 
It's sometimes we make these excuses. I can't serve the church because I can't go to church because I can't tithe to the church because this entire book of the Old Testament is about building a heart for his house. We're going to see that throughout this chapter. And yet people are just so good at excuses. And so are we. It comes back to why are you serving the church, though? Why are you going to church? What's the reasoning behind it? In, in the next chapter of Haggai, actually, God calls them out on, you're, you're serving me, sure, kind of, but with selfish attitudes and evil hearts. Is that servant-heartedness, actually? Or is it about you? Is it just jumping through the motions so that I keep blessing you? These people had put everything else in front of God. The, the people that had returned, that had been set free by God to return to their homeland and rebuild their nation, were now taking advantage of the very God that put them there. It's not that they were bad people, right? Let me just make that clear. The book of Haggai is not written to the world. The book of Haggai is written to God's people. This is a letter to the church we can apply the same messages to the church today that were applied to God's people 2,500 years ago. Things don't change all that. Human nature doesn't change all that much, does it? Right? They put their own desires first. They, the people never said, we'll never build the temple. They just said, not yet. They put their own desires first. And then they wondered why God wasn't having it. Comes back to your motivations. What are your motives when you do obey? God cares not only that you do obey, but why you obey. So let's keep reading. Verse 3. Then the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. He's asking them to look at themselves. Take a good, hard, honest look at yourselves. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. How many parents have ever said that? <laughs> or something to that degree. Right? The money just, where'd it, where'd it go? It's like I put it in my pockets, but it all has holes in it. Right? Your wages disappear. Here's the thing. When it comes to obeying God... God's addition is multiplication, not addition. Whatever you give him, he will multiply in your hand. But when we don't give it to him, it's almost like the opposite happens. It goes away in multiplication. <laughs> like it just sinks right out of our pockets. It's all gone before we can even know what happened. God's saying, look at, take an honest look at yourselves. Where are you spending your time and energy? It's not on my temple. Where are you spending it? You're spending it on the, on the planting that you're doing. You're working so hard planting and, and you're eating and drinking, but it's not doing anything for you. Is all of that time and energy in a place that's accumulating good things for you? If it's not first on God, then the rest might be wasted anyway. We talk about this with tithing a lot. <laughs> Just so everybody's on the same page. Tithing is 10% of your income given to the church. Right? God called them to do it 
back in the Old Testament, just like he does today, 10% of your income given to the church. I hear some people sometimes say, I tithe, but, you know, it's not the full 10%. It's not a tithe. That's an offering. A tithe is fully 10% of your income given to God. And God asks for that for a reason. We're talking about this today because this is the way that we build the church today. They had bricks, you know, stones to put on top of each other to build the temple. We build it with our resources today just the same. But sometimes we make excuses, right? If it's not first on God, though, God says the rest might be wasted anyway. Sin takes 100%. Realize that? It's, it's not ever more obvious than with addiction. You watch this with addiction, but it happens in a lot of other, other ways, too. Like, we start with just a little bit. A little bit here, a little bit there. It takes a little bit of my time, a little bit of my money, a little bit of my resources. But addiction takes more and more and more. It's the snowball effect, right? To the point that eventually it wants 100% plus some. Now you're taking from other people to feed the addiction. Sin takes it all anyway. God's only asking for 10%. Right? That's what. That's essentially the idea he's trying to convey here. All the work that you're doing outside of me is going nowhere anyway. Come on, guys. Right? Just trust me. I will take care of you. Put first things first and let me take care of the rest we there's a, a book called too busy not to pray it's an old book i think has, have any, has anybody read it too busy not to pray this is another one of these excuses we give to god i'm just too busy god i can't i can't give you any time no you're too busy not to pray if you actually set aside time every day to just focus on him the rest would work itself out God will take care of you when you put first things first. When we experience lack in our lives, we have to take a good, hard look. That's what God is saying. Look at what's happening to you. Verse 6, you planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. Sin also gets us, like, sort of blinded. We can't actually see what's going on. We're too busy in the middle of it. We're, we're in the weeds. It's a restaurant term, but we're in the weeds, right? We can't see above anymore. We're, we're so in it. We can't actually see what's happening. God's saying, look at what's happening. Look. Verse 5, actually. Look at what's happening to you. You've planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes and cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Actually, look, when we experience lack, it's an opportunity to realize some things, to take genuine stock and say, maybe I need to get my life right here. Maybe I need to fix a few things. Maybe I need to return to the genuine worship of God. And we actually need to make that a trigger in our souls. Okay, I need to take a look at this. When we're lacking, we need to sow some seed in faith. We need to honor God with it. We need to get back to tithing. We need to get back to worshiping. We need to get back to putting time aside every single week to worship him with everything. The time to prepare is not later, it's now. See, I think sometimes we get addicted to the blessings of God rather than the God who gave us the blessings. It's really easy to do, actually. These people returned from slavery. And 70 years later, it's like they're still in slavery. But they're doing it to themselves now. They're toiling and working so hard and it's all going out the window anyway. 
Just like it did when they were enslaved. They were giving all of their work to someone else, and now here they are still doing it. And God's just saying, look, I, I gave you the freedom, and you're still not focused on me. Church, God's house is meant to remind us of who gave us the blessings in the first place. Even the Sabbath is meant to remind us of that. God built one day a week into every single week, one day every seven days that we are supposed to set aside to focus on him and rest. How many of us actually do that? (laughs) It's kind of rare these days, actually. Right? But even in Jesus' day, there were people abusing the Sabbath. they, They rested, sure, but it was more of a power grab over people. We get this all kinds of messed up. Let's keep moving in verse 7. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now, go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of Heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and ruin everything you've worked so hard to get. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom... The Lord their God had sent. The people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. Here again, we see the people of God getting themselves into a mess, repenting, obeying God, and God saying, I am with you. The people in this very short book of the Bible had forgotten God in their daily lives. The Old Testament people had a tough time with this in general. Actually, I almost preached the book of Malachi this week because it also fit perfectly. This happened over and over and over throughout Israel's history. They begged God for freedom, got it, and forgot him. And they begged God for freedom again, get it, and forget him. The church of today is no different. The church, not the world talking to the church today, not the world. We went the past six weeks preaching the gospel, getting free of some stuff, weeping around this altar, right? I've seen people get healed in this series, get delivered in this series. We've gotten free from some stuff. Now let's not forget. Let's not forget who gave it to us in the first place. Right? God wasn't angry with them for being wicked in this case. They weren't out breaking all the commandments. Right? They're not out doing crazy stuff. They just lacked enthusiasm. That was the main problem in this book. And God is saying to them, how is it right that you live in luxurious houses, but you're too lazy to build a nice house for me? Have you forgotten who gave you those houses? You care more about your own lives than about being with me, about building my temple. But last, maybe this is the last part we're going to read. Verse 14. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. 
They began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of Heaven's armies, on September 21st, the second year of King Darius's reign. So the Lord sparked enthusiasm. The Lord sparked enthusiasm. And I believe that's what God is about to do with us. As I read this this week and realized the bridge that this creates between what we just went through in different and what we're about to go through in our next series, I believe this is what God is about to do. He's going to spark enthusiasm within us. But today is about remembering what he's done. Right? Because if we forget, we're going to misplace our passion. We're going to start to become addicted to the freedom instead of the God of freedom. All right? Now, notice he begins with the leaders. The Lord sparks enthusiasm, but he begins with the leaders. He sparked enthusiasm in the leaders first. Look, I have got this passion burning in my soul. I, I, the I heart church thing, I heart church heart. <laughs> I love church. I always have. I've grown up in these very pews. Like, I love church, but I cannot wait to begin serving our community. God has something new developing in my soul. We are going to build the church. We're going to be a lighthouse to our community. Because today, God's church is each and every one of us. So it lives inside each and every one of us. And the way to spread it, to build it, is to spread his love, right? Come into this house and love each other. There are so many reasons to love and invest in, to give to, to work hard, and to give your energy to the church. Not only does God command it throughout the word, right? But it's also the organized avenue for spreading the gospel message. It's the invention of Jesus. You know, he's the first word, first person to say the word church in the New Testament. Jesus invented the church. I hear Christians sometimes say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't like people. I don't like the church. I have lots of problems there. Okay, it's not perfect, right? Because there's people in it, right. right? And we'll love you too, you know? We're, we're, none of us are perfect. The church is not perfect. But it, it is the organized avenue, invention of Jesus Christ to spread the message of Jesus Christ, One of us can only do so much, and honestly, we'd probably grow cold and passionless on our own anyway. But together, we can accomplish so much more. It is also the active and it is active and intentional about making its members better people. (laughs) Each and every one of us come into church, hopefully, saying, "God, what are you saying to me today? What do you have for me today?" Not in a I need fed and like selfish kind of way, but honestly, God, what can I leave with today? How can I be better? How can I serve you better? How can I love people better? We are a vibrant, passionate, selfless church, and we exist to spread the gospel message. That is who we are as Freedom Valley, but the passion begins here in this house on Sunday mornings. This is what we're, we're doing something special here on Sunday morning. We're building our passion, feeding it renewing our vibrancy, and practicing selflessness. Obedience sparks passion. Passion spurs on more obedience. It's cyclical. And listen, I also believe we're called to appreciate the people who give their entire lives to the church. This is part of the building the church message. Uh, it, It is, October is actually Pastor Appreciation Month. Um, but it's, I feel like it should be staff appreciation much. There's so many people that work behind the scenes in a church that don't get the recognition. 
right? It's the people you call pastors, but it's also the staff who serve those pastors and serve you to the best of their ability. October is Pastor Appreciation Month, but I'm declaring it Staff Appreciation Month. Because there's, I tell all prospective staff members, look, coming on to staff does not mean you get to do all the fun jobs. In fact, it's the exact opposite. You have to do all the jobs that no one else wants to do. Right? The fun jobs we give to volunteers. You recruit other people to do the fun jobs, but you're the one who shows up early and stays late, cleans up behind everybody else. Right? You do all the jobs no one else wants to do. And they get less recognition than Aaron and I, the ones that are up on stage, right? They work hard to serve you all. And it's their job to make jobs for you. It's actually their job to, our job as leaders in the church, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Not to do the work themselves, but to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. (laughs) The workers are few. So I'm asking you this month in, in the I Heart My Church spirit and in, in the way that we build the church to appreciate Chris and Jody, to appreciate Chelsea, if you saw on stage, and Isaiah and Matt, the people in the back that work so hard for you, right? Because the kingdom of God is built by the organization of the church. Jesus set it up that way. Haggai was a call to rebuild the temple today. Jesus, I think he's constantly saying, come on, guys, rebuild the church. Build it. Make it a a lighthouse, a city on a hill, right? You are the salt of the world. Call everyone to yourselves because the kingdom of God is often so upside down from our way of thinking. Right? Seems so sometimes backwards from our logical way of thinking. If we expect God to bless us, we have to be obedient. If we expect God to bless us, we have to sow a little. First, our our gain isn't going to come from us working harder than everyone else, just like in the book of Haggai, but rather serving more than anyone else. It's going to come from saving. It's not going to come from saving and being stingy and holding everything to us. It's going to come from us loving more, being more generous. It's going to come from us trusting God with a good offering. Not the whole tithe, not just, not just part of the tithe, but the whole tithe. What I want you to see today is that it starts with the church. It starts with a passion within us. It starts with the temple, the house of the Lord. I called today, I heart my church. Because it starts with us. And, and not in a way that, that it's like we have to have just more school spirit. You know what I mean? Just because we happen to be here, we have to love it but that we would really, truly cultivate a passion for church, for each other. Jesus said in John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. A lot of people shorten that for some reason and say your, your love will prove to the world that you are my disciples, but it specifically says your love for one another, your love for your fellow believers, the people that you serve alongside of, funny that we even have to say that. You would think a church should naturally love each other. (laughs) We're not perfect, are we? Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This sermon bridges the gap between the gospel and what we're going to do with the gospel. Between our salvation and the world's salvation. 
our world. This sermon makes sure that we are set free, but we're not just going to be lured back into slavery accidentally. It makes sure that we're not going to be abundantly blessed only to take the cheap counterfeit instead. It's God calling us back. And make sure you do something with your freedom. Because it's not just for you. I set you free so you can set the world free. And we make sure that when we're given another chance, a 50th chance, we're not just going to return to the muck. That we're saved for a reason. That we really can love each other the way that Jesus loved us. And then... God is going to take us even further. Listen, Jesus didn't teach a lifestyle that was compartmentalized. Right? My church life is over here. My family life is over here. My, my work life is over there. He taught a lifestyle that was all-encompassing. It's all-encompassing. The gospel is meant to warm its way down into every single part of our life, of our soul. God is going to challenge you this month. I know because he's already challenging me. And my family. Look, I made a commitment to you all when I first took the position here. But I would go first. I'll go first. Meaning, I'm not going to ask you to do something spiritually that I'm not willing to do myself. Or already doing myself. Aaron and I are being called right now to do more. More for our community. More for missions. More for our world and our church. Just more. To truly be a lighthouse a port in the storm, a city on a hill for our community. Our love for each other starts here as the church, but it's meant to overflow out. If you heart your church, then love it sacrificially. Practice selflessness here. Love it with your tithes. Love it with your serving, with your gifts and talents. Love it with your time. Love it even when you don't feel like it. I heart my church. It isn't about some sort of like, that school pride, that manufactured pride in the place that you go every Sunday. It's about actually having a heart for his house. As the band goes ahead and comes, I want you to consider today where your heart is. You know, where your heart is actually hurting for people. Because we're going to go into a season of looking at how Jesus' heart hurt for people. How it, it wept for people that he looked at. How it was broken for the people that were hurting and enslaved by their own sin and broken. He had a heart for people. That's meant to overflow out of us. A heart for the place that keeps the main thing the main thing. A heart for the place that lifts the name of Jesus. The place that gives hope to the hopeless, that frees the captives. We have people coming in here every single week with a broken heart. The broken body, maybe. Dying from the inside out, just looking for hope. We hear story after story, testimony after testimony of people that somehow end up here. Maybe a friend invited them or they were passing by and they just felt drawn in. Or maybe they were invited for a long time and just finally decided to say yes. When they get here, they feel a peace they've never felt before. 
freedom they've never felt before, a hope they've never felt before. They can take a deep breath for the first time in a long time. This is why we have a heart for the house, a heart for God's temple, a heart for God's people. This house is meant to be a place that's truly countercultural. It's not only out for itself, but it's out for others. And God takes issue when you, have, when you take the freedom that he gives and you hold it all to yourself. So today I want to challenge you. What does your heart break for? As your pastor, I can tell you, more than once, probably even this month, my heart has been broken for this church. some of your stories that as you confide in me and I'm praying over you and, and my heart just breaks. God, heal us. God, restore us. God, bring us freedom. God, uh, give us financial freedom. God, repair that marriage. God, whatever it is, my heart breaks for you all. And I've looked out at friends and family members that don't believe and my heart breaks for them. And every single Sunday morning as I get up before the sun and I say, God, bring people in today. God, just pull their hearts in today. Let them get up this morning and just not be able to avoid going to church. Let, call them in from the road outside. Call them in. Because I've got a message for them today. And that the most powerful message on planet Earth is that God is real. God is good. And he loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. That his heart breaks for you. So I think a lot of people get it twisted and we think that God is this angry guy in the sky shaking his finger at you, that, that he's mad at you. And we let that shame and that condemnation that the world wants to throw on us, that the enemy wants to throw on us, let us run away from church. Let us run away from his house, his presence, his love. That is not the heart of the Father heart of the Father breaks for you. The heart of the Father cries with you. He catches every one of your tears, that he is close to the brokenhearted. He loves you so much. He sent a piece of himself. He sent his son to die for you. He didn't deserve that. He was the only one that didn't deserve that. And he laid down his life for you. Don't take that freedom and do nothing with it. But I think one of the most bold prayers that you can pray is, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Because when you pray that prayer, everything changes. Everything changes. Everything has to change. It's the little things in life that I think should break my heart, the things that do break my heart probably aren't as important as I think they are. God has it. He's got my back, right? And I, it, when I'm obedient, I can proclaim the blessings of God in my life and see it happen. It's, it's the, the broken and the hurting, the people enslaved in this world. That's what, who our heart should break for. That's what the church is set up to do. 
to be that lighthouse, to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, to be the salt and light of the world. We are meant to exist for everybody else. And we cannot do nothing with this gospel. If you already tithe and you give into the church and you serve and you attend all the time, Jesus said, yes, you should tithe. But also, you should look for ways to love, to give mercy, to have compassion for others, right? So you let this message today be a reminder to you about why you do it, but also be a reminder to let it not just be a ritual. This is not just what we do on Sunday mornings. Let it be real. Pray for people as you come in. As you're driving to church in the morning, say, God, bring bring that house. <laughs> pray for the people in that house. Right? I pray for the people on my, on my drive-in that you would just call them into your presence, that you would love them. God, I don't know what they're going through, but you do. Right? You pray over people. And when we say things around the church like we get to give, we don't just have to give. We mean it. Yes, God is calling us to give, but we also get to. We get to have an amazing place where we can come and worship freely and vibrantly and passionately and selflessly. We get to have a place where we can show the world who we are. We have been set free. We have a hope. This house is meant to be a place of peace. Because God's not after your money. God's not after your resources. God's not after your time. He's after your heart. And if your heart breaks for the things that breaks His, God will call you to it. Look, each and every single one of us have been gifted with gifts and talents that are from Him. Each and every single one of us have a calling today that might be different from our calling tomorrow or next week or next year. He is calling you to love somebody today to speak the gospel message today. There is hope for somebody in your life that is hurting. God, break our hearts for what break yours. God, help us see that your house is like a lighthouse. It's like a city on a hill. God, help us build your church and truly have a heart for your heart, a heart after your own heart. pray today that we would humble ourselves before you. We'd be able to truly look at our lives and see all of the places with it. You're trying to steer us away from the things that we're praying about that might just be selfish, that might be totally focused on us. And, and you're saying, yeah, look, those things are good and I want those things for you. But there's so much more. God, help our freedom to not just be about us, but about our community, the people around us. God, help us truly have a heart after you. And we would see that we're not alone in this. We have a community of believers around us that we can accomplish so much more with each other than all by ourselves. heads bowed and eyes still closed today. Maybe you're one of those that wandered in somehow today without hope. 
you've been frustrated, you're realizing you can't do life on your own, and you came today looking for help, looking for hope, looking for peace again. This is the right place for that. God is real, God is good, and he loves you so much. I believe he called you here today to hear that message, to give your life back to him. With heads bowed and eyes still closed today, if that's you, and you would say, I want to respond to Jesus, I want to be free. I know I haven't been doing life the way that I should, and I just want to give it back to him. It's so easy. All you have to do, Jesus came to make it so easy, so that all you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe in you, I believe you died for my sins, and I'm choosing to accept your forgiveness in my life. I'm a new creation in Christ. If that's you today and you want to pray that prayer, if you want to say, I, I am in, I'm into following Jesus, I'm into leaving the old behind, I'm into accepting his forgiveness and love in my life, would you just slip your hand up right where you are if you're in the room? I am in. I want to follow Jesus, maybe for the first time or, or the first time in a long time. If you're watching online today, you can text the number on the screen. Love to have that conversation with you and help you through that. Maybe today you're saying, look, God's convicting me. I haven't had a heart for his house in a while. I haven't been tithing like I should. I haven't been serving like I should. I haven't been attending like I should. I haven't been involved to the degree that I know you're calling me to. And today I just want to say I'm sorry and I'm going to change. I'm going to rebuild his house in my life. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up just so I know who I'm praying for? Awesome. You can put those down. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's useful to teach us, to correct us. Thank you that you've given us countless stories in the Word that we can look back on and not make those mistakes. But thank you for setting us free. Thank you for everything that you have done this, this summer in our church. Thank you that you've spoken into us, that you've called us out of the, the apathy. That you've called us to be vibrant, passionate, and selfless that you call us into more. God, thank you for setting us free. And now, as we move into this next season, what you have for us, God, I just pray that we would have open hearts, open minds, that you would break our hearts truly for what breaks yours, that we would have a passion for our community, a passion that starts here in the church, that every single Sunday morning we would come in and renew our passion practice selflessness with each other, that we would love each other so much that it overflows onto our communities, onto the people around us, and that we would truly be able to look at people with the eyes of Jesus, that we'd be able to serve them with the hands and feet of Jesus. Thank you for calling us to build this church, for making this a place of hope, love, We worship you today. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. 
And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. Would you stand with me? Let's worship.
just want you. Can we give a round of applause for the band, for Pastor Candace, for the message this morning, for serving us. And if this message for you, you struggle with it in, in giving of your finances, of your wallet, ask God for a generous heart. If it feels like, no, Lord, this is mine, everything else you can have, but this is mine. Ask for a generous heart, generous in your finances, generous in your time, generous in your love, generous in your encouragement, generous in your blessing, to be just a generous person, because our God is generous. And today, when you go, pick up your children, see somebody at the serve desk, the band, Pastor Candace, since this is Appreciation Month and Staff Appreciation Month. Say thank you. Tell them you appreciate you for serving. All right. Thank you very much. We love you. Be blessed. Let's pray. We'll see you next week as we hear about missions and hear the heart of Jesus in that. Father God, we thank you that you are for us. We thank you, Lord, that we get to serve you, to love you. Thank you, Lord, for this word. Let us be generous people, to have a heart for your house, to have a heart for your people, to have a heart for the lost. Give us that, Lord. We don't have it in ourselves. But place, replace the stone heart of ours and give us the heart of flesh of Jesus to love you and love others. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming. The prayer team is here. If you need a prayer, please come up. See you next week.